This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. together for good according to his purpose not your purpose you see and it's to shape and mold you to be more and more like Jesus and sometimes we get caught up in the world today and our success in the world today and what we have and what we don't have not realizing that is that's totally irrelevant but all things work together for good for those who love God those who are called according to his purpose All of us have felt like things weren't going our way at some point in our lives. In those moments, we may question God, asking why He's allowing hardship to prevail. From our short-term, limited perspective, it's hard to believe that He's working all things together for good. But as Pastor Eddie encourages us in today's message, in those moments of trial, we have the opportunity to trust in God. Even when it's beyond our horizon, we can trust that in the end, He will work everything out. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in Romans chapter 8 for today's edition of Running the Race. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not, did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not, with, uh, he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God and also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or perils or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who love us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of the previous chapters, chapters 1 through 7, because we have been justified by faith, Because we've been sanctified, Paul opens up chapter 8 with verse 1. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Because of the finished work of the cross of Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus We are no longer condemned before God. We are not guilty before God. We will never receive punishment from God. In verse 12, he goes on to say, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. There is a debt that is owed, but that it is not owed to the flesh. You and I 
owe nothing to the flesh, but we owe everything to God. We owe everything to Christ. We no longer are obligated to the flesh. And since we have no obligation to the flesh, we do not have to live according to the flesh. In Romans chapter 6, verse 14, Paul writes, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So there's no obligation. And with that, there's no, you could say, there's no frustration. Our debt is owed to the one who has paid it in full for our sins, and that's Jesus Christ, our Lord. Then in our last study, we looked at verses uh, 28 on. He says, no matter what we go through, he says in verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. That is, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, when you say all things, you start thinking, Lord, everything should work wonderful in my life. I'm a Christian. Am I not a son of God, a child of God, a daughter of God? But all these things work together for good according to his purpose, not your purpose, you see. And it's to shape and mold you to be more and more like Jesus. And sometimes we get caught up in the world today and our success in the world today and what we have and what we don't have, not realizing that is, that's totally irrelevant. That's totally irrelevant. But all things work together for good for those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. And that is according to his will. His will. So the ultimate plan is, is an eternal plan for you, that all these things are going to work for good. The purpose of God's will is what controls everything in your life in light of, the, of eternity and with the plan that God has for you. For example, you probably prayed uh, for a promotion in your job. You know there's a, a position available, and you are more than qualified. You've been with the company uh, for 20, 30, 40 years. Who knows? And you pray for that position. You know you could use the extra money, but somehow you didn't get the position. You see, God knows all things. And so you say, Lord, I thought you loved me. I don't understand. That promotion was mine. I know I, 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 I qualified. I've been faithful. I'm a faithful employee. I thought all things work together for good for those who love you. And I love you, Lord. What's going on? For those who love the Lord, who trust in the Lord, who knows the Lord, they know that God always have his best interests for you. I love Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So you didn't get the promotion. God knows. He sees the end from the beginning. And God is behind your life and working behind the scenes, making all things work together for good. But God knew that if you were to have that position, it would rob you with his time with the Lord. It will rob you of your time with the Lord. It will rob you of your time with your family. You're halfway as a workaholic by now. And God knew that the company would probably be, will go under. But you trust in the Lord. You trust in the Lord. And you get a phone call from another company that's doing really well. Heard of your reputation as an employee. Gave you, uh, gave you a position with a better salary, better benefits. You know, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. If it, it works out the way we want it to work out, then we know it's going gonna, it's gonna to mess up. 
We always want to put our hands on the, on the situation instead of leaving it in God's hands. And so now that brings us to the end of Romans chapter 8 in verses 31 to 39 as we read. In verses 31 to 39, Paul tells us of our eternal security in Christ. Our eternal security in Christ. And there is an eternal security when it comes to our salvation in Jesus Christ. And Paul is going to drive home this truth to you and I. He's going to drive home this truth with seven questions. And you can read and you can look at the seven question marks in verses 31 to 36. Seven questions and he's going to answer those questions. So let's look at question number one. Verse 31, question number one. He says, what then shall we say to these things? What then shall we say to these things? What things? The things we have read and we have studied. Just in chapter 8 alone, looking at verse 18 of chapter 8, he said that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We're worried about the now, not worried about the then and there. And verse 23, that we who who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. In verse 24, it says, for we were saved in this hope, and it's a hope that cannot be seen, but what is hope if you could see it? In verse 26, that the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. The Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. In verse 27, the Spirit makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. In verse 28, all things work together for good for those who love God. In verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And lastly, verse 30, moreover, whom he predestines, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Justification, sanctification, and glorification What can we say to these things? What can we say to these wonderful things, these benefits, just by being justified? I don't know about you, but there really are no words to say. What can we say? There are no words to express all that the Father has done through his Son, Jesus Christ. The work that he's done at the cross, the security we have in him, the love that we have in him, salvation. We can say... All we can say is praise God, hallelujah, yes and amen. That's all we can say. There are no words. All these wonderful benefits. That's just a few in chapter 8. Imagine all of scripture. You see the promises of God. But the scripture is all filled with promises. And all we can do, I say, is say yes and amen and shout it from the rooftops. I mean, what else can possibly say? That God so loved the world, and God so loved the world, you know he so loves you, he so loves me, and he gave his only begotten son, a love that we would never be able to describe fully, or fully understand, or comprehend. It's impossible. The love that he has for us. Just think about that our sins have been forgiven, that we are not condemned, that we stand justified before him, and that we will be in heaven with him. So the first question, what then shall we say to these things? And here's the second question in verse 31. For if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who could be against us? Now, the preposition, the word if in the Greek is in the first grammar in the Greek, but is in, in our grammar since. So really, the translation is, since God is for us, 
who or what can be against us? Who or what? You and I know that obviously we have a few things against us. As a matter of fact, three. Three things that are against a Christian today. And you know, if you've been part of the body of Christ, you know if you experience these, uh, these things going against you. You have Satan, the enemy. You have the world. And you have your flesh. Many times it's the flesh. And you'll say, the, sa- the devil made me do it. No, it's your flesh. <laughs> Always passing the blame, right? But we have these three things against us. Satan, the world, and the flesh. However, though these things are against us, they cannot ultimately prevail or triumph it over us. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? If, if God is working on our behalf, there is no lesser power that can defeat him and those who are in him. It's nothing. Who can be against us? We're talking about God here. And I think, you know, the Lord demonstrated that for us. When you study, you look at, the, you know, what God has done with the children of Israel, being free from Egypt, all the power of Egypt. Egypt was the most powerful, uh, you know, nation in the world at that time. And God delivered them from the world, delivered them from the bondage of slavery. You know, people tend to think wrongly, and I say wrongly, that they tend to think that God is Satan on the opposite, uh, opposite opponents. Satan is a created being. He's not in the same league of God. God created him. God could handle him. As a matter of fact, God doesn't even need to handle him. He has his angels doing it for him. In fact, one of God's nameless angels can take care of Satan with one hand. I'm not trying to hype this up. This is scripture. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 and 3. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 and 3. It said, Then I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. One hand already has the key and the chain. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. John, when he wrote this, he wanted to make sure, he wants you to know who he's talking about. He's talking about Satan. He got all four of his names. Dragon, serpent, devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. We're talking about the millennium reign, when we were ruling reign with Christ, and when he would be put away, and he cast him into the bottom of his pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. A nameless angel. He didn't say Gabriel, right? He didn't say Michael. Nope. You're not talking about a cherubim, you're talking about one of the angels without a name. You can handle Satan with one hand behind his back and toss him in a, gr- in a garbage can, if you will, the bottom of his pit. <laughs> so you see, you can't compare the two. You know, sometimes you see pictures and posters of Jesus and Satan and ring or arm wrestling or they're fighting. No, are you kidding me? Jesus is not going to get dirty. Nameless angel. Oh, yeah, let's just pick out of the billions and billions of angels. Hey, you go take care of that guy. That's how it's done. Now, you yourself and I, we have no power over Satan. In ourselves, we don't. Don't be fooled. There are people lie and say, no, you have power. No, you don't. Satan has so much power. He could destroy you spiritually, and he definitely can destroy you physically. But it is he who is in me. It is he who is in me that is in you that has power over Satan. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. 
chapter 4, verse 4, First John, it says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you, is, that's he who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world, Satan. Who's the prince of the world? Satan. Greater is he who is in you. So it's not you by yourself. So let me tell you, yeah, Satan is powerful, but because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Who can come against us? All the powers of, of hell may set themselves against us, but since, if, since God is for us, they can never prevail against us with God on our side. And here's the team. Here's the team. You, the believer in Jesus Christ, plus God, you, the believer in Jesus Christ, plus God, makes an unconquerable majority. There is no way. God alone can handle him. Well, again, one of his nameless angels can handle them. Imagine God with you. Now, with that question, Paul makes an assertion here, and that's good for us, and I think we don't want to overlook this, and I think it's important, is that God himself is not against us. If God is for us, he's with us. It's not against us. And that's important for us to understand because sometimes when we mess up, we, when, we, when we think that God is disappointed with us, that, that we struggle and we fail, that God is against us. God is never against his own. He is with you. His Holy Spirit is working 24-7 to make you more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. And the enemy will always, the accuser, because you know how, that's he, how's how he works, he's going to say, listen, you, you messed up. Forget about this Christian stuff. You messed up. Why go to church? Why get involved with the Bible study and the fellowship? You messed up. God is against you. God is never against you, saints. Remember that. Children of God, sons and daughters of God, God is never against you. Don't don't let the enemy lie to you. He's never against you. Again, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace. And not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And so here the Apostle Paul declares that what matters is not what's against us. is not what's against you. you. We always look at what's in front of us. We look at our trials and tribulations. We look at our enemies. It's not what's against you that you know, God wants you to focus on. But who is for us? It's God. That's all you need to know. So it's totally irrelevant how big your problem is or how big your enemy is or how big the army might be. They may come to you orderly in one direction, but God with you, they'll be scattered in many. That's the way God works. You are with him. And God the Father is for us, the believer, you and I, to the extent that in verse 32, look at verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. He, the Father, did not spare his own son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not spare his only son, his prized possession, his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And is this only, if there's ever a man that was close to understand, to understand what God has been through or what God felt when he gave his only son was Abraham. Remember Abraham? God said, Abraham, go, go take your son and take him up to that mountain and you're going to sacrifice him. He's going to say, oi vey, I waited 100 years for a son, the only son I have. And th- this is the first time you're going to see the word love in the Bible when you read that chapter. The first time you're going to hear 
begotten son in the Bible in Genesis, the first time. And it's amazing the first time is that God is giving Abraham a picture. Say, Abraham, take your only begotten son whom you love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And take him up to Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is what we know today as Calvary. What we know as Golgotha, where Christ was crucified. And Abraham took his son up there, but he, he took his two witnesses with him, his two servants with him and his son, who was with Jesus on the cross, two, two criminals, right? So he takes, you see a picture. Abraham, you know, he's with the wood. You know, Isaac, I'm sorry. He said, Father, we have the wood. Where's the sacrifice? God himself will provide the ultimate sacrifice. But he tells his two servants, wait down here. We'll be back. I thought you was going to sacrifice his son. What faith you have. So he goes to Calvary. And just about when he's about to sacrifice his son, he said, Abraham, do not harm the boy. Now I know. But Abraham saw what God was going to do with his son at that very place. Now listen, when you think about those in the Bible, I mean, have you experienced what Isaac experienced? Now you know why some of these people need therapy. I mean, oh, the Bible's filled with dysfunctional families. So listen, you think you have a dysfunctional family? Bible's filled. Join the party. And so you see what would happen. God knew, I mean, Abraham knew. So I don't think we understand this love that God has for us, that he almost sacri- that He gave his only begotten son, the greatest gift that could ever be given. He did not spare his only son, Jesus Christ, for us, and who himself was God. And so Paul, now he, 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 he echoes an early assurance that he gave us in Romans chapter 5. If God loves his people, he loves us to the extent where Christ had died from, he sent his only son, how much greater would be the benefit of his resurrection? In Romans chapter 5 verse 8, he says, but God demonstrated his own love towards us. When? In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you, in your BC days before Jesus When you are against God and you are fighting against God, you had enmity with God. The Bible says that before the cross, that your heart and your mind is against God. You're fighting against God. God still loved you. He still loved you. And that was, dis- that was even displayed for us through Christ. When he knew that Judas would betray him, he still loved him. Matter of fact, when he gave him the bread, it was an honorary thing that you would do when he passed the bread and he said, go do what you're called to do. He said, go hurry quickly and do it. That dipping and that little, that little uh, ceremony that they would do is something you would do to a friend, showing that you're still my friend, even though you're going to betray me. I still love you. And that's the same for you and I. Why we were still sinning, he still loved us. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Here's the third question. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So if, if God the Father has already given us the greatest gift ever, can, we, can he give anything greater than his son Jesus Christ? Now we always look at God as unlimited. There's nothing impossible for God. But when we look at this, yes, there is nothing greater that he could give than his own son because he's given of himself. I'm the Pastor Eddie Pinero has been digging into the book of Romans with us here on Running the Race. We hope you've been encouraged by what you've heard today and that you're eager to learn more about Jesus. If you'd like to listen to more messages by Eddie, visit our website at runningtheraceradio.com. There you'll also find a link to our podcast where you can subscribe to receive up-to-date messages each time they're available. If you're in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area, why not come be a part of our weekly worship service? 
We gather each Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and again on Wednesday at 7 p.m. for Bible study, worship, and getting to know each other better. Find more information at runningtheraceradio.com. Right now, Tracy has some information about how you can be a part of the ministry here at Running the Race. Radio programs like Running the Race are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced, and God has given us a vision to see Running the Race expand throughout the tri-state area. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting Running the Race? Log on to runningtheraceradio.com and simply click on the Give option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. There's much more to learn from the Book of Romans on the next edition of Running the Race.